This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to uh, another show uh, of Talking Talk of the Devils. Uh, I'm your host, Dave Murphy. I'm once again joined by former Manchester United centre-back, Scott Wharton. Scott, it's been a couple of weeks. Um, I want to jump right into it. It's been a couple of weeks. We've had the Christmas uh, festivities. and We've had games cancelled. We've had games, you know, some teams having to play a lot of games at once. Uh, you know, within that period, we've had teams like Manchester United have had two weeks off in that period. Um, but first of all, before we before we get jumping into that, good Christmas. I know, I know you're out injured at the moment, so obviously a bit of frustration uh, uh, for you in, in that respect. Yeah, but no, uh, <clears throat> obviously frustrating to be injured and miss miss being out on the pitch and, and training every day. And but obviously on the flip side, it's allowed me to have a bit more of a, a relaxed Christmas mentally. Um, Obviously, you're always focusing, concentrating on games. Boxing Day, you've got a game. Um, you know that doesn't mean I was stuffing my face with two or three turkeys on Christmas Day, obviously. But um, yeah, it was nice just just mentally knowing that you know I wasn't going to be playing probably till um, early January. That um, you know I could switch off a little bit mentally and and be invested in the time with my family, which obviously on every usual Christmas, you know, you're not allowed to do. So. Um, yeah, that, that part of it was nice, and yeah, everything everything went well. Um, so yeah, no complaints. How about you, the same? Pretty much. I mean, I, I mean, it must it must be frustrating though, as, as a footballer, you know, being out injured, you know, still having to train every day, you know, but not be able to participate, you know, with the game at the end of the week. For me, that that'd be equivalent to me baking a cake and not being allowed to eat it, you know. So um, that's the only way I can equate to it. So. I mean, I know over the Christmas period, it's a little bit different because, you know, it's kind of, it's nice that you can spend more time with your family. But um, are you are you an impatient footballer? Are you one of those guys that, that hates to be training all week and then not being, you know, able to play at the weekend? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm probably in the 95% of all the other footballers. You get the odd ones who, who, who it doesn't affect or can deal with it good. But, yeah, no, I like your analogy, but it, it, is, it is a bit like that. You know, the, the only reason... You you you're in football is is to play football, and when you when you obviously can't do that, whether it's you're not in a team or you've got an injury, whatever the suspension, whatever the reason might be, it's it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, absolutely, uh, it doesn't change. Uh, however old or young you get, it is um, like I say, that's the main reason you you grow up and you want to play football is to, is to play in front of that crowd at the end of the week and try and fight for three points. So when you can't do that, it is um, yeah, it's incredibly annoying. 
Well, hopefully see you back on the pitch pretty soon. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, there's no problems. Now. I'll be back very shortly. Um, yeah, no issues whatsoever. So um, I'm probably no. I'm no longer. Would say I'm injured now. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm fully fit and, and ready and ready to go. So um, got obviously a huge game in the FA Cup this weekend. Um, so yeah, um, good test. Big test. Um, massive test for Manchester United after you know. Two weeks off where, uh, well, we had the Newcastle game, but, you know, we had a lot of rest over Christmas period. Uh, we went into the game against Wolves um, on the back of a draw with Newcastle. Um, I don't even know how to explain what happened next. Um, the only plus from it was the return of Phil Jones, which we can touch on later on. Um, but Manchester United once again beaten at home by a team that you're expected to beat. Old Trafford, as we know, hasn't become the fortress that it once was. Teams come and seem to enjoy um, mm. playing Manchester against Manchester United these days. Um, but, you know, we, we've been, we've bought into this idea of the pressing game uh, that Rangnick is supposed to be bringing. Um, and apart from, you know, uh, Burnley, uh, maybe a 30, 40 minutes stint against them and 30 minutes against Crystal Palace in his very first game, it's it's been pretty dire, hasn't it? I mean, it really has a. So, what was your thoughts on on the Wolves game? For me, it was an absolute mess. You know, it just we spend more time we spend more time passing the ball sideways and backwards than we do actually pressing forward. Um, and in the end, you know, we paid the price for. It. Uh, so, what was your view on the on the United game against Wolves? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I think it was pretty dull. Yeah, I think you've you've touched on it there. Um, wasn't exciting, wasn't really enjoyable to watch. I don't even think they pressed that well. I think probably until Bruno come on and, and showed a little bit of spark, you were struggling to see where where the goal was going to come from, really. Um, you know, Wolves, credit to Wolves, I think they've been proved since the new manager's gone in. And, you know, United looks like, you know, with every new manager that's come in since Fix and left, it always looks like two steps forward, three steps back almost, you know what I mean? And we seem to be at that that same point again all the you know all the noise on the outside is seems positive about you know Ralph Ragnick and but results were okay I mean he couldn't have asked for a, a better start in terms of the, the fixtures and the league positions of the teams he was playing against I think we covered yeah. that on an earlier show but you know performance levels and has there been a massive change has there been a spike in performances I don't really think there has and you know I think Wolves is probably probably the worst one uh, Newcastle wasn't much better as, as you just said there as well, and you know it seems to be the same old problems. Whoever who's the manager, um, one thing I will say with, with in regards to what you mentioned about the press is I remember we said at the start, and I said it won't change overnight. And you're immediately you're seeing that bounce and that that new manager bounce that people like to call it, and it, and it does happen. It's true. A new manager comes in, a new boss, a new teacher, whoever it might be. There's that automatic. All right, we've got to impress the new guy. So whatever he says happens, but. You know, I remember seeing stats under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. United were one of the, I think they were twentieth for distance covered in the league. Basically, meaning they ran the least. Now he's come in, and he will expect them, and he'll want them to get be in the top four or five. He'll probably want them to be the, the, the best in terms of sprinting, high speed running, distance covered on a, on on the pitch. And you can't. That needs time to be be programmed into them. I was quite surprised with the time off the ad. Uh, before the Newcastle game, I thought they would have got some really, really good training into the legs and into the body and start to see some adaptations from the manager's methods. But again, li listening to his press conferences, he, he 
it was it was a mess because people had COVID. The training ground was shut down, so that's not would have helped them. Um, that would have been a huge disruption disruption for him and for the squad. But I still just think you know for the standards Man United have, it, yeah. you would ex- you'd still expect more for the players for the quality of players they've got. Um, I still think performances can be a lot better. So you spoke about him, you know, you spoke about a manager coming in and trying to implement his way of playing. Is is because uh, you know Rangnick is is on a six months interim and a two year consultancy. Is his um, is his uh, uh, management, uh, you know, is it is it undermined because of that? Are the players thinking that you know, well, I don't really have to buy into this. He's not going to be the manager in six months' time. Does that play a part? It might have if he wasn't going into the consultancy role. I, I feel, but the fact that he is going into upstairs. I don't think that would come into the players' minds, really. I think, if anything, it would make them go the other way because they think this guy's not coming in for six months and then he's yeah. going back to Germany or he's going for another job. He's still going to be making huge football decisions. So if I'm not pulling me weight or if he thinks I'm a, I've got a good attitude or whatnot, he's going to be feeding that information straight away to the new manager or he could be making decisions to move players on because um, he's still going to be at the club, obviously heavily involved in the decision-making, we're, we're led to believe. So, no, I don't I don't think, I'd be amazed if that was the case. Um, but, you know, the, the, the reports that we're hearing uh, coming out of the club doesn't doesn't sound great. Yeah, and I'm, I want to I wanna touch on that in a, in a minute, but I, I want to jump back to the Wolves game. Um, you know, we started with Ronaldo Cabani up, up front, which is my preferred, you know, front two. Um, he dropped Bruno. He dropped Rashford. You know, we we we've heard his press conference. He's not afraid to call people out. He's not afraid to say he's not happy about things. I think that was the that was the only thing. I think Ollie was a little bit weaker on is that he wanted to be everybody's friend, and it, it just doesn't work that way when you're trying to do. You know, when you're trying to run a football club, when you when you're in a job that you have to let people down because you only have eleven players, you can't keep everyone happy. Um, mm. He did drop Bruno. He did drop Rashford. Um, but in the last couple of games, he seems to have brought off what I seem to be, you know, our best player on the pitch at the time, which is Mason Greenwood. Uh, he brought Greenwood off again. Rashford, you know, I just don't get it. I mean, what's the top process behind, you know, taking Greenwood off all the time, especially against Wolves when he looked like the only player that, that you know, was willing to bust the gut? Mm. Yeah, I think with Greenwood, and this happens all the time, with him being the youngest player, he's just the easy option. You know, yeah. I think he likes Cavani for his work right. rate and what he brings to the team, and, and rightly so. You know, for as big a cause as he made, can Ralph Ragnick bring Ronaldo off on 60 minutes at Old Trafford? I don't think so. I, I, you know, I, I just don't think he can. I don't think that would go down well. One with Ronaldo, and the, he, he'll know the influence he has in the dressing room because of obviously what he's achieved in the game. Obviously, the fans absolutely adore Ronaldo and rightly so for what he's done for the club. So, if he's looking for a spark and he wants to bring someone into the pitch, into the game like Rashford, you know, is it going to be Ronaldo? No. Cavani? No. Greenwood's he's the young kid. Is Greenwood going to cause a problem? No, he's not because he's a young lad learning his trade still. So, it's just the easy option and that happens. That happens in, in all levels all over the world, I'm sure. And, you know, I hear your point about dropping Bruno and stuff like that, but on that, okay, like I said, I agree. I, I, I'm a, well, we spoke about this many times of how big a fans we are of Greenwood. I think he's going to be a, an incredible player for Man United for the next, hopefully for the next 10, 15 years. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan. But at the minute, he's the young kid coming through. So unfortunately for him, he's the easy option. 
want to talk a little bit about Phil Jones. Phil Jones hasn't played for, I think it's over two years now. Um, you know, we, we don't know exactly, you know, the main reason behind it. It's, it's, it's an injury after an injury. Um, you know, there was also rumours that he, you know, mentally he just wasn't, he just wasn't prepared uh, to play you know, for Manchester United. And that had a big effect on both him and obviously the injuries as well. Um, but he came back um, and probably was the best player on the pitch um, against Wolves. And I want to split this into two because I think it's absolutely fantastic to come back after two years and for what he's been through. Absolutely phenomenal that he, he came out there and he put in a performance. And you've seen how much it meant to him at the end. You know, he went off in tears, you know, as a Stratford and um, uh, chanted his name. But, I, I you know, I, I think we've gone a little bit overboard on social media, where, you know, where, where people are calling now for Phil Jones to be, you know, the centre-back for Manchester United moving forward. I think we, you know, we have a little bit of amnesia there in regard to, and and I don't say this with you know any any malice or any any you know, you know happiness in my voice, but Phil Jones was absolutely shocking um, for the last couple of years of his uh, before he got that injury from Manchester United. And you know when we were, it, it's well known the club were trying to move him on. They were trying to you know trying to get rid of him, but his, his salary was so big, and then the club gave him another contract. I just don't buy into the fact that that Phil Jones is the answer to our centre back problems. But that said. Um, I think it was absolutely fantastic, you know, see him back after two years um, and to put in, you know, a, a pretty solid performance. Um, what's your view? I mean, I'd like to get your view on, on first how he played and then secondly, are we are we overhyping Phil Jones and forgetting the fact that, you know, he, he wasn't great um, yeah. even a couple of seasons up to his injury? Yeah, I think to answer the first question, yeah, I was probably like loads of people, and I, I was actually at the club when Phil came, so I, I know him reasonably well as a, as a lad, and, and he's, he is a great lad, and he's a good character, and I was delighted for him. Uh, you know, two years out, you know, you, you just asked me at the start, um, what it's like to to train all week but then not play. He's had that week in week out for two years. Yeah, you know, he's probably not been injured for that whole period. He's probably has times where he's just getting back fit and he might be training. But obviously, previous managers, you know, Mourinho signed Bailly, uh, Lindelof, you know, um, Oli signed Varane. So he's probably not been injured for the whole two years. But for the best part of that, he, he would have been, you know, really, really hurt and coming in, being in the gym. It's like you said, like it's almost like going to work every day, but not really being allowed to do what you. I want to do and what you're actually there for it's it's such a, i mean I, i've had i was out for 11 months was my longest period of time and it's it is it's a tough tough place to be so first and foremost you know a credit to himself for getting himself back and putting yeah. himself in a, in a condition to, to play with it because he did he played i thought he played really really well um but in terms of the social media reaction and phil jones being the answer listen i'm not gonna knowing him i'm not gonna say he is or he isn't but that's just the world we live in you know you could have he could play, he could be man of the match for the next 10 games. If he gives a goal away in the last minute that cost Man United the game, it'll be Phil Jones, the worst player we've ever had. You know, that, but is that what that, that, that's exactly what we're talking about now, but it's like two years apart. And because I, I remember two, three years ago when Phil Jones and Chris Smalling were absolutely getting lettered every week, every week, they couldn't do yeah. anything. And now, let's be honest, they were making a lot of mistakes. And, and when we look at previous centre backs we had at the club, it, you're kind of thinking, you know what, I just don't think this is working. And now here we are two years later, and now there's a massive gap in between. Mm. And all of a sudden, we're talking about the, the second coming of Barese. And I'm like, come on, guys, calm down. Like, it's it's absolutely fantastic that he gets back on the pitch because, like you said, and I never thought of this, you know, two years 
years training and not playing to, to get back out in front of Old Trafford, you know, and to get pretty much a standing ovation from the Stratford end is, is phenomenal. But I, I think we need to be cautious here of, of how over how we overreact to this um with, with, with Phil Jones. And and I've met him on a few occasions. Um and he is a he is a fantastic, you know, he seems to be he seems to be a well-liked guy in the dressing room. He's he's well-liked by the fans and in regard to, you know, when he's off the pitch as well. So I thought it was absolutely amazing to see him back, but I, I don't think he's the answer. I really don't. Yeah, no, he's and like you say, it's that's two years of, of real hurt he's gone through. Um, you know, would have been um would have been would have been so so tough for him. So even for him to just get back, he would have had moments where he's probably thought like retiring, you know. So I echo I echo everything you've said. He's um it's fair play to him for getting back. So now I want to move on to um, all the rumours and, and uh, you know, the issues that Manchester United seem to be having right now with all the leaks. Um, I want to just start off with this from, from Wayne. Uh, Wayne Moody, uh, players are a disgrace. Pressing is something you were taught at underage level. There's nothing revolutionary about it. If players aren't willing to fight and run, let them F off and bring in the under-21s. Our 23 it should be a privilege to wear that jersey. Some of them just picking up paychecks. I want to I want to address this a little bit in, in a couple of different parts. Um, first and foremost, my honest opinion, I think it's very difficult to motivate a player that's earning two, three hundred grand a week. You know, we've spoken about this in the past. Um, I remember an interview by by Sir Alex many many years ago, and he said that was one of his biggest fears was was constantly motivating players, you know, that are earning more money than a manager. Um, and he he managed to do it with two great teams when when all the money came in. Him and Arsene Wenger were the only managers I believe that were able to manage egos like that because they had enough, you know, in the bank to say, you know, you may you may think you've got a trophy cabinet, but I'm one of the best managers in the world. You'll never be you'll never be on my level. Um, but you know, as there is no managers like them around anymore. You, okay, you got your clubs, you got your peps, you got, you know, you got your uh, Tuchel, cool, you've got all these guys. But they're, they're they're backed by a lot, a lot of money. You know, they really are. Um, I just don't think today's footballer in the Premier League, uh, because I want to separate that from you know the Championship, the First Division. Uh, the second division. I want to separate that from that because I think it, the further you go down the league, the more passionate they, not only the players are, but the clubs are and the supporters are. That's just my honest opinion. Um, we've spoken before about the championship, how difficult it is to, to win that because, you know, it's it's. I believe it's just from a passion standpoint, it stands on its own against the Premier League. Um, the Premier League is just, it's, it makes you an instant millionaire, doesn't it? And how do you how do you motivate a player that, it, there's no goal there other than having to play every week. And I know you and I have discussed this as well in the past that that's, you know, as a footballer, that's all you want to do is play every week. But that said, not just looking at Manchester United, but looking around the whole league, there's a host of clubs that have this problem right now where players don't really seem to care. They really don't. Um, and that leads on to this part of it. If, if players aren't willing to fight, you know, and run, let let them let them leave. But you're probably going to bring in a player that that you know is probably a similar mentality. Is that when everything is going great, the world is great. When everything is going bad, you don't have a Roy Keane. You don't have a you know a Steven Gerrard. You don't have a John Terry that's going to just give someone a kick in the ass. That those players are gone. That mentality, I believe, is gone in the Premier League right now. Um, it should be a privilege to wear the jersey. It should be a privilege to wear any club's jersey that's paying you to wear it. Um. 
some of them are picking up paychecks. We know that. We we see it every week. You know, we Sanchez was a prime example. We had that. I can't remember that that defender's name from Chelsea many many years ago that sat you know sat in the reserves for two years because he didn't care. Um, he's not a one off. We we still have it today. Um, I know that's a long winded question. Um, but what's your thoughts on that? You know, uh, in regard to you know the commitment, the motivation. It is a difficult thing these days to, to motivate multi-millionaires at the age of 21 and 22. Yeah, it is, absolutely. Because like you say, they've already sort of made it without doing a lot. Um, in regards to the, the, the first team though, and, and the Premier League players, they do care, there's no doubt, because they're getting... Okay, listen, they're earning a fortune, and like you say, they all be most of them will be millionaires, and... And that's just what comes with the territory, and, and they deserve that for the for the for the level of play they are for playing at that level. But I, I I look at it from a slightly different way. They're playing every week in front of millions of people, match of the day, Saturday night. You know the Premier League matches get shown worldwide, all different time, all across the world. So they're not going to want to embarrass themselves. So I, I do well. I know for a fact that they they do care deeply. I just th- think sometimes. When things aren't going great, and there's perhaps they are unhappy with, you know, there could be a whole host of things that they're not quite happy with. That reflects in the body language, and then that translates yeah. to the fans that, oh look, he doesn't care, he's not bothered, or he's he hasn't closed down, pressed about that question there from uh, Wayne. Like I just don't think that's true. I think, um, you know, for example, so he mentioned pressing, they're not closing down, bringing the twenty threes, but. They pressed against Liverpool for the first goal and Liverpool, it wasn't quite right. And Liverpool popped round them and they made them look stupid. Yeah. So the, and the game, another th- thing I want to think as well is the game, even from when I was, say, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when I was sort of 10, 15, watching football and then started playing football at a pretty serious level, it's changed my, miles yeah. apart because... I said this before, I think as well. Everyone played four four two. It was all about you getting the better of your opponents. It was put balls in the box, play direct, play forward. Um, you know, be direct, quite direct, get stuck in. That was what, especially the British game was was more built on. But with the influx of foreign players, foreign managers, especially, and the tactics change and every all the different formations and stuff like this, it it, it has just you know, Man City want to try and overload. Put, play 4v2 in, in one side of the pitch and then switch it. How many teams now play three at the back? Wolves, Tottenham, that would never have happened 10 years ago. So yeah. I, I understand the frustration when things aren't going well and fans go, oh, they don't care. They're, they're picking up all this money, which, yeah, true they are. But they, they do care. One, because of the prof- um, professional... Sorry, not all... The ones who don't care, I think if you might get one or two in a dressing room who are just, no, I'm not, I'm not bothered. I'm, I'm picking this money up. I'm going to be fine once I retire. I could retire next week and I'll be fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there isn't any of them. Of course there is. Probably one or two in every club. But the 90%, 95% of the players are deeply, deeply care because one of the, the personal, professional pride, I think a lot of players will feel the weight of a responsibility that they are getting paid all this money. So therefore, they have to produce on the pitch and, and, Pay that back, um, you know. And, and again, I don't think they want to. You well, you definitely don't want to embarrass yourself if you're going into games and you haven't really put it in. You're not trained. You're not right mentally, physically. At that level in the Premier League, you're going to be shown up and you'll be dropped. Then you'll be unhappy. 
So, you know, I, I, I hear his point, but I, I don't, uh, I can't agree with it. Uh, Wayne, Wayne Barton, um, Manchester United author, um, friend of the show, we'll call him, um, asked this question here, you know, more difficult if you're not brought through the system like Scott. I don't think the players we bring in, Maguire, etc., are adequately prepared for the demand of playing for United where every game is a cup final. At least the kids coming through have this education. Um, I mean, I've always lived with that theory as well um, that I think a lot of players don't realise how big Manchester United is. I, I, I think they just assume it's, especially, you know, I'm aware, you know, being in England would probably get somewhat of how big Manchester United is, but a lot of the foreign players that come in, I don't think they understand and, and they get the full weight of Manchester United. Um, you you were lucky enough to, to come through the ranks of Manchester United through your teenage years and into the first team. Uh, so that would have been drilled into you from day one, how big this club is. Do you think there's a there's a point to be made here that that a lot of these guys get to there and as soon as they're in that spotlight they kind of freeze and they they kind of go oh my god I didn't realize you know the weight of expectation because we all know that when Manchester United come to town the stadium is full and and the team will always play that little bit better I think that's just human nature I mean even even you know even at schoolboy level and Sunday league level if you if you're playing against a local team that is deemed the best team in the area don't you always raise your game I just don't think that a lot of these players you know realize that that every every single game and every minute of every game is is like that when you play for Manchester United. And when you're playing against professional footballers, it's twice as hard, 10 times as hard, because you're playing against players that are pretty good. You look at the Newcastle game, getting absolutely mullered by everyone. And then yeah. Manchester United come to town, we were lucky to get a draw. You know, yeah. it's the same. We went to Norwich. We I know we won there, but, you know, it was it was by no means what other teams are going there and doing. Um are, are a lot of these players, you know, can they not take the weight of expectation of Manchester United and, and a cup final every week? No, no, I don't think they can. Um, I completely agree with with what Wayne said, and it, I agree with the the thinking behind it as well as that. You've got to have a certain sort of character, and you've got to become from a certain sort of makeup. That yeah, you're spot on. Every game, everyone wants to beat Man United because okay. Recent years they haven't been successful, but they're still worldwide known as the most sort of reputable uh, club in England by some way. Um, so every, like you say, every ground they may try and make it hostile. Um, every, every the other team they'll do everything they can. It is and it is their cup final. Whereas if you've been, if you've come from a club from overseas or another club in England where you know it's okay to win one, lose one, draw a couple, then win again, then lose a couple. And that's the sort of demands and expectations of the club. That sort of will become, unless you're that special sort of person and you've got that drive and that character within yourself to, right, I'm playing for Man United now. Just every single game, you, you've got to win. Otherwise, yeah. it's, it's not good enough. That's the standards that were set, obviously, through Alex, from Alex Ferguson and, and his teams of, of how dominant they were winning leagues, winning you know FA Cups, Champions Leagues. And they're the standards that have been... And ultimately, since he's left, they haven't been they haven't been followed because the recruitment's not been right. You know, the, the managers obviously have been questioned and undermined and the, the, the club's been a bit of a mess at times. So, yeah, I completely agree. I think players coming through the youth team will have that from, you know, Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, Jesse Lingard. They would have knew that pressure and that feeling, the expectation from the ages of 9, 10, 8, whenever it was that they joined the club, dealing with that through every age group. 
I mean, give it, give it, you know, can you give us some insight in, into, you know, into the expectations that was drilled into you when you came to Manchester United? You know, you came into the U team and then you went to reserve, then you went to the first team. As Wayne's saying, it's a responsibility and a privilege. You know, Scott would have felt it that in the U team and the I reserve do, team, yeah. for sure. I mean, so my youth team manager was Paul McGuinness, um, who was just an absolutely fantastic, brilliant, brilliant oh, honestly. Um, and I, you don't really realise it until until I left the club, really, and, and I see other coaches and, and youth teams and how they work, what they do. But it's just ingrained into you that you've got to, you've got to win, but you, you're coached on how to do it and what it takes and you're explained, everything's explained to you, what you've got to do, how do you... You know, I can remember a situation where after training once, I think he was speaking to Nicky Jose, and he, he might not have been happy or he was trying to explain something about what he had to do and how he had to improve his game. And he was comparing them to Nanny, saying, if you want to get into the first team, you've got to do what he does and more because he's already in there. So yeah. for you to overtake them players and and get past the reserve players and then get into the first team, then get past the first team players, the amount of work, sacrifice and, and coaching that you need to do that is huge and you know we listen the whole week was was a tough week but it, it's what it's taken it's not a fluke what listen every player from the youth team isn't going to become a man united regular but I, you could look through certainly from my time with the club go go up or down two or three age groups and go higher two or three age groups the amount of players who have had really good careers in the game yeah yeah is, is astonishing really I, I, much more than any other club in the country I, 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 for sure um and like you said, that was in, then you go up to the reserves and obviously Ollie was the manager, Warren Joyce again, another absolutely unbelievable coach for that stage. What they what they give you and what they um what they drill into you day in, day out. It's sort of it's almost like a relentless sort of attitude and a relentless way of training that you've got to be the best you can be, otherwise you've got no chance. And you know, under Ferguson, that's what the first team plays. I can remember seeing quotes, I think, from Paul Scholes or speaking to him once and saying that. The, the games in training were harder than the games on a Saturday in the Premier League because it was so it had to have people fighting for the places. It was it was just it was just relentless. That's it was like a machine almost. It was like a well-oiled machine. Um from from my time there, like I say, you know, but we were given Paul McGuinness would make us watch videos on the history of the badge and, and things like that. So so you knew all about the history of the club. Uh, we watched videos on the Munich air disaster, and it was all just—it was ingrained into you, so you knew what it meant for sure. I, I do remember reading um, a, a, a quote from Ferguson's book saying that he wasn't just setting players up for the Manchester United first team. You know, he was setting you know men up to to basically be men in their life outside in everyday life, just setting them up for life rather than setting them up just for Manchester United football club. Um, and and that struck a chord with me because, as you just said, you know, it, it's so hard to get into that to that first team, um, and it's so easy. I believe for a manager just to concentrate on the first team, but mm. Ferguson's way was always that you know I'm not just setting these guys up to, to to come into the first team. If they do, that's great. I'm setting them up to have a career in in football, whether it's with Manchester United or with anyone else. But I'm also setting them up to be really really nice people, you know, outside of the game. And and I've been fortunate enough to come across and, and to talk to a lot of ex players like yourself that came up through you know that era and through Ferguson's time and. Um, and and uh, every one of them are, are, are pretty much like yourself, very down to earth, um, and and are just really nice guys. I, I don't think we're going to see 
no disrespect to the current players that are that are playing around the Premier League now. I just don't see that in a lot of clubs. I think they're I think these players have become too overprotected. They've been too sheltered. Um, I just, you know, we we all know that we've lost the football that we loved um, from 10, 15, 20 years ago. This is just, and you said, you know, it's very different now than when you were 15, 16. You know, there's all these different formations. You know, there's uh, three at the back. There's five at the back. There's, you know, the typical 4-4-2 was gone. And now we're playing 4 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 It's just, to me, it's it, it, it gets a little bit, you know, confusing at times of what the hell's going on. But, um I want to jump on then to I want to jump on now to uh, all these so-called rumors and and uh, dressing room unrest that's at Manchester United, um, and I, and I want to give you just a you know a, a couple of minutes of, of what I believe is is going on here. Um, four or five years ago, we had the leaks. You know, even you know seven eight years ago with David Moyes, we know there were certain players leaking information, leaking teams, and stuff like that. Um, and that can happen in dressing rooms. I'm sure you know that. I'm sure there's players that that have, you know, that are disgruntled and they just want to. It's their way of feeling better by revealing certain things to certain journalists, and that you know you can't stop that. But the level of bullshit that I've read in the past, and excuse my uh, language, but the level of bullshit I've read in the last three or four days about what's going on at Manchester United is, is you know, it's gone through the stratosphere. It, the numbers of players that, that are supposed to be unhappy was climbing higher than positive COVID tests. It really was. Once it was two or three players, and then it was six, and then it was 11. Now we're at 17. We're at 17 players. Now I'm like, what? 17? Come on. You know, 17 players that are, are, are you know, disheartened with, with Ragnick, they're disheartened with the with the players that have come in, they're disheartened with the coaches. Um, I read one tweet that said, you know, Harry Maguire, who has been relegated four times, is disappointed with, you know, the current coaching staff at Manchester United. And, and it's things that have to kind of make you laugh. But on a serious note, I personally, I do believe that that, that there is – you know, some players that are probably not happy about it. We know that that they train in the morning now and they train in the afternoon. And he's he's coming out and he's calling. He's not specifically calling out players, but he's calling out the team about body language and and how they're playing and how they're not following his instructions and how. And and it's you know it's a breath of fresh air because as much as I love Solskjaer, his press conferences were terrible. You were you were screaming at the the, the screen saying just. Just say he's shit. That's, you know, just tell us that he's not playing well and, and put a bit of pressure on him. I don't believe in calling players out the way Mourinho did, but there's certain ways you can do it. And I think Rangnick is doing it very well. He's saying, as a team, we're not playing well. We're not pressing. I wasn't happy with all the back pass and the side passes. To go back to what I initially said, because we're Manchester United, every slight thing to put pressure on them, a journalist is going to write it and social media is going to blow it up. Our fans are, are swallowing it. Like, you know, they're swallowing bricks at this moment in time. The amount of stuff I've read on social media about what's going on in Manchester, I mean, you think the place is born to the ground. It hasn't. Yes, there are players, I believe, that are, are not happy. And they're the players that will probably end up getting moved on. Scott, you play for Manchester United, you play for Leeds, you play for Liverpool, you're 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 currently a professional footballer. Um sounds as weird that. Um <laughs> yes, it, it every time I say it, I'm like, how is how is someone that, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen. That'll never happen again. I don't no. believe. Um, but do, do these things happen? You know, is first of all, do these things happen? Do players like you know, 
if they get a little bit annoyed and upset, they'll go and talk to someone to leak a bit of news, put a bit of pressure on the manager. And then secondly, I just want to talk about Manchester United. You as a you know as a supporter, take off your you know your football boots for a minute. Do, do you honestly believe that it's it's really that bad? No, I, I think the exaggeration in the numbers and things like that. You can tell maybe you know. Obviously, of course, but there's, there's players unhappy in every dressing room and every team. Yeah. You know, there's the old rule if you're not playing, you're not happy. And that's why, again, going back to Ferguson, he was so good because he kept 20 international players happy. And they need to stop thinking about that because them days are obviously long gone now. But it's, it's just not, it's just what it does, it just undermines the manager straight away, doesn't it? You know, even if it is BS, like you said, the, the, the way the world is now and the social media. Every interview is on Twitter, Instagram. It's retweeted every. It's on every news, on the radio. There's no getting away from big stories, especially for a club like Man United. Yeah. You know, he's going to be asked about. I, I watch uh, Tammy TV on what's on the TV. Um, reports of unrest within the dressing room with the manager's training regime and his, his assistant staff. Then I go get in my car, uh, listen to talk sport. Within five minutes, it's so. It's every you can't escape it. So straight away. That man, you know, the Man United players will, will know that. All the staff will yep. know that. It just undermines him straight away. And listen, it's at this level now. You know, it probably wouldn't happen because the, the profile isn't big enough. You know, if, you're not going to get find a player in League One who, who can speak to a journal. It might get the local paper, but a club like Man United, all it takes is. You know, a couple of exchange of text messages. It might be a player who goes, tells his eight feed, speak to his agents every other day. How's it going? Blah, blah, blah. I'm not happy. This is going on. That's going on. The agent might be probably trying to get the player out or his player's not playing. So he's trying to put pressure on the manager. Goes to a journalist. Probably, of course, he's going to exaggerate a story to make headlines and, and get yeah. people talking about it. Of course, that happens. And, and again, I go back to the world we live in now. This is just, this is the, the new the new game I personally hate it social media and Twitter everything is just everywhere whereas again going back I feel like I'm dead old when I say when I started playing you had the local paper match of the day and that was it you know there was it wasn't that easy probably with the access it's too accessible now isn't it you know you, you if you really wanted to as a player or an agent you could find any journalist on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, you, you could easily do it, and you could within yeah. within a few minutes and a few lines of text messages, you can be leaking information. Whereas, never used to happen. And, and I'm going to say it again: under Ferguson, he wouldn't have allowed it. He yeah. banned journalists from turning up the training ground. He, he had everything, and he had so much power and control, which obviously he earned through the success he had. And you know, Ragnick's just come in. You know, maybe the players aren't happy. You know maybe the players could be right. Maybe it is not not great. You know, I, again, I hate using these two clubs in a, in a, as an example, but I can't remember the last time I turned my radio on and I heard unrest at Liverpool or Man City. You know, but I'm hearing about Man United. You hear stuff about going on with Arsenal and Aubameyang. So there might be some truth in it. You know, we obviously don't, only the people inside them that training ground really know. Um, but it's obviously it's it's not ideal for the club. The fans look at it and think, "What's going on?" It's it's just a mess, and it certainly isn't good for the manager. It just it just undermines him straight away. No, I, I I do believe there's no smoke without fire. I really yeah. do. I do think there's a couple of players in there that are probably not happy. You know, they're they're you know daily routine oh, being no doubt. No, no doubt that there's players unhappy. You know, I think 
Van der Beek is, he hasn't really featured under him. Someone like Juan Mata hasn't kicked the ball under him. Yeah. Jesse the same. Um, so, you know, of course, the size of United's squad, it's going to be impossible to keep people happy anyway. So, um, you know, it's always it was always going to be incredibly difficult, but it just doesn't... The, the players need to look at the... Uh, again, the way I was brought up is, if yeah, of course, let's say Van der Beek's unhappy, but there's a, I just feel there's a way... Lee can st- I'm not saying... Listen, I'm not saying it is Van der Beek. could be could be anyone. Yeah. It's just leaking stories... It's just a bit poor, really, isn't it? Just get on with your job. If you want to leave, go and speak to the manager. Ask to leave. Say you're not happy about X, Y, Z. But by the sounds of it, like we say, you know, these players are probably running back to journalists, running back to their agents. You know, it's it's just... It's well, we have the Martial incidents where, you know, he his agent and him himself told the media that he wanted to leave. And in the next press conference, Ralph said, well, he hasn't come to me. And if he wants to leave, he has to come talk to me. I, I applauded that. I'm like, you know, that's how you conduct a football club. That's how you conduct yourself. You don't go crying to your agent who then goes crying to the media. He's not going to manage your star. He's not going to. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't John Gregory. He's not going to he's not going to attempt to shoot you when Yorkie, you know, wanted to leave Aston Villa. You're just not going to die and you say, I'm, you know, you're not playing me. I'm out of here. I don't understand why they have to do this to undermine a club that yeah. has made them, you know, and, and this comes into it, has made them, you know, rich beyond their wildest dreams. Now, they're not coming to the table with nothing themselves. Obviously, they're fantastic professional footballers, but there's got to be a bit of respect there. Just go yeah. to the manager and go, doesn't look like I'm in your plans. You know, I'm out of here. I mean, I remember that story from, from Solskjaer uh, before, you know, 98 time, I think it was, when when Spurs were in for him and he wasn't getting his game and he went into the manager and he said, I want out. And Ferguson said, I want to keep you. I think you're going to be important for this club. I really want to keep you. I don't want you to go. That's how you conduct your business. Mm. You, you don't go crying to your agent and crying to the media. But the problem is, as you rightly pointed out, Manchester United is still one of the biggest clubs in the world. It's the biggest club in England. And, you know, you can have your Liverpools and your Arsenal, your Chelsea, your Man City's try and believe that they are, but they're not. Manchester United is the biggest club in England. There's no doubt about that. So anytime anything happens, it gets blown way out of proportion, like we're just witnessing now at the moment. You know, that's what we're seeing. We're actually seeing this bullshit where every single thing is just blown out of proportion. But this is the way Manchester United's always been since I've supported them. It's always been this way. It's just social media now has just exploded. And like I said, over the past couple of months, it's got even worse. I know you and I have talked in the past about you know social media and and Fergie didn't like you guys on it and stuff like that. But you have you save yourself so much, so much time, wasted time of reading stuff that goes that's not true. And then sometimes I get myself involved in and go, do you honestly believe that that's true? And they're like, well, you know, this guy reported and that guy. I'm like, that didn't happen. We all it's, know. I've seen it loads. Um, probably the most at, at Leeds because again, it was a. It was a big club, so it had a big following, big social media following. And we'd be on the bus after the match, and we'd see tweets from a the journalist would be tweeting, um, I don't know, whatever he could say. He could say a quote from the manager, or he, he would tweet something that he, obviously he believes is true. And one of the lads would get the phone and say, Have you seen what so and so just tweeted? And he'd be showing the lads, and it would be like, just be absolute nonsense, you know what I mean? But it's just crazy how, how people do it and get away with it. And but everyone, the thing with that is, then people have a bit of power. Yeah, it there's no accountability for journalists anymore. There's just no, no. accountability. There really isn't. But, they can say whatever they want. 
because it's all about clicks. It's all about, you know, interactions, you know, and Manchester United, that's what they live off. They mention it every time in their annual, you know, AGMs and stuff like that, about how many clicks they got when Ronaldo signed. And I mean, it, it's mental that, that, but what it's created is it's created really bad journalism because they can literally say anything they want. And unfortunately, people suck it up and believe it. They really exactly. do. Yeah, exactly. And it, yeah, of course, what, why wouldn't people believe it? Because it's coming from a journalist. So a journalist could say anything he wanted and people are naturally going to believe it. Because until, unless you knew the truth, unless you know the truth yourself, then that's your only information. You know, I think yeah. what's, the, what's the famous quote from um, the actor Denzel Washington? If you listen to the media, you're ill-informed. But if you don't listen to the media, you're not informed. Yeah. It's, it's it's absolutely spot on, you know. It is, it is. Um, but it's 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 one of those things where you know I, I think with the, with the amount of people that's on social media on Twitter especially because that's where that whole cesspool is, um, you'll get a large majority of people that will just believe every single thing that's written about. It. And then you know you then you get opposition supporters that will dive onto it knowing that it's not really true. But you know I'm still gonna you know make a comment on it. But uh, I, I I did see a tweet earlier on by by someone that I follow. Um, that said, you know, if you're in any doubt how big Manchester United is, I'm watching the the, the, trans, the transfer section on Sky Sports News and they've spoken for like 10, 15 minutes about Manchester United and we're not even buying anyone. Yeah. So, you know... That's, that's I, was, I was thinking as you were talking there, if let's if there's a story about... Who's their big club? Aston Villa, big club. But if there's a story about Aston Villa or Manchester United, what's going to get the airtime? Yeah. It's just, it's obvious, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I got one more question for you um, because this thing has been touted around as well. Um, and Alias has actually asked it. And I want, I want to, I want to get your view on it. Um, Brian Ronaldo was a mistake for Oli. United were in cloud nine last season with these mediocre team. We came second and we thought United would win the league. But Ronaldo has exposed Oli's weakness. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether that's, I mean, it, <laughs> Like, is he saying that Brian Ronaldo was a good thing and then it's a bad thing? So so here's my view on, on Ronaldo. I thought it was a fantastic signing. I think it's an absolute, still a fantastic signing. He's a top scorer. He's got 13, 14 goals. Unfortunately, social media have driven this narrative that Ronaldo was the problem. And every time he scores a goal, I'll tweet, I see the problem scored again. Um, you and I have talked many, many times about Ronaldo and why, he, why he's doing nothing for 89 minutes and then, boom, scores a winner out of nothing. That's why he stays on the pitch, and we all know that. Buying Ronaldo was, for me, a massive positive to Manchester United. But that said, because we're Manchester United, as soon as they're a problem, all of a sudden it's Ronaldo's fault. There's supposed to be a mini gang now in, in the Old Trafford dressing room of Harry Maguire and a few of his guys. They're going to go around Ronaldo's house and beat him up because he's undermined them in the dressing room. I don't believe that. And, and here's a prime example. If I can get you the examples, I'll text them to you later. Someone put up on on uh, Twitter a picture of Ronaldo on his knees, you know, after scoring the win at, right at the end. And Harry Maguire, um, and I think it's, I, I believe it's Mason Greenwood, I think, are standing behind them. And they've taken a still from a video of their faces not smiling. And then someone reposted it with the video. And it was that split second that when he dropped to his knees and he was happy. And then instantly, Harry Maguire goes over to him. Ronaldo stands up and they're giving, they're giving each other big hugs and, you know, patting each other on the back. But the amount of tweets and retweets the still picture got over the video was 10 to 1. And it's absolutely mind-blown. 
to go back to this question here, Ronaldo, a big plus or is he a problem in the dressing room? I can't imagine he would be a be a problem in the dressing room. The only thing I think he the problem he might have with a manager is the the sort of weight he would carry with what he's done in the standard. game. Yep. He's almost yeah, the standards, um, the quality he's he's played with over the you know, his Real Madrid team won what four Champions Leagues over the course of a few years. Obviously the United team he used to play in. Let's not beat around the bush. Ronaldo's probably scratching his head at a few things that he's seeing. He, listen, he, he probably is. You spoke about the centre-backs we've got. Which is annoying. I'm sorry, sorry for cutting across him, but isn't this the same thing that Roy Keane used to do? Like, he he had a certain standard and if you drop below that, he would be like, what are you doing? Mm. I mean, Ronaldo comes in and, and you know, let's be honest, far better player than Roy Keane. He's won, you know, what, four or five, I think, world player of the year. He obviously has a standard. What's the difference between Ronaldo expecting a standard and Roy Keane? Nothing. Yeah, but yeah, but in, in Roy Keane's era, players could react to that. Well, yeah. most players could. Whereas again, people have changed, the game's different. So listen, I don't think Ronaldo would be the same sort of character as Roy Keane. I think he's a bit more of a um what do you call it? More silent and I've seen a few things about Gary Neville saying he didn't go over to the fans and he's waving his arms in the air and his, his body language that the manager keeps referring to doesn't look great. And that's probably so, but that's obviously showing his frustration. I, I think the quality around. I don't think he he might not think that the lads aren't trying hard or they're not working, giving everything. I, th- I think it would be a quality thing. I, I see him make runs and the ball doesn't come. Yeah, you know, getting, he hasn't had many chances in recent games, whereas he probably had three or four chances every week while he was at Real Madrid and. Uh, maybe he's allowed to be disappointed is my point he's allowed to be disappointed in people not being up to his standard now obviously they made a big deal out of he's not going to clap to the away fans and you know that's just something a pet peeve of mine as well I think all teams should just especially the away fans you know yeah. you, go, you take 10 seconds of your time you know even walk halfway line and clap this thing run down the tunnel he's obviously knows now it's become a problem he needs to fix that but that said to get back to the Ronaldo thing I, I do, but I think I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think it's a bit of frustration around not just a certain player or a certain individual or a certain way of. It's just you, you said it there, which I didn't think of. He hasn't had many chances, so maybe he's just frustrated with life in general at Manchester mm. United. And is he not allowed to be? I mean, are supporters the only ones that are allowed to be disappointed? No. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, then I, yeah, it's it's quite difficult sometimes to hide your emotions, isn't it? And if he's his yeah. his obviously frustration and disappointment is being translated by people as oh he's being a, he could be a problem. Look at his he's got his hands in the air again. He's being a problem. And again, you know we're not privy to what goes on in the dressing room in the training ground every day. Is he speaking with play? Is he saying you know he might be the, might be thinking oh I'm not sure about this manager what he's trying to get us to do. He's work with it. You know the list of managers he's played under is is incredible you know Mourinho in his prime at Real obviously Salix um, Carlo Ancelotti uh, Allegri Allegri I think at Juventus possibly yep. Pirlo, um a few other managers Zidane um, so he might be thinking well I'm not sure he missed out on David Moyes unfortunately but you know <laughs> um, you know he, he and again because of the weight and what he's done in the game all of a sudden, if Ronaldo's 
raising his eyebrows and questioning um, yeah. questioning what the managers maybe it's training methods maybe it is double sessions you know players don't like doing double grass sessions because in the afternoon if you've worked hard in the morning you're tired and you're stiff and you're achy and it sounds bad that fans will say oh forget the money they get paid and they've got to go out in the afternoon but it's just it's natural that you're all you're stiff you're tired people don't enjoy it um he might be not happy with this he might be not happy with the tactics you know there's a whole host of things he might not be happy with but again he, he might people could latch on to that because of the weight he, he obviously carries in the dressing room and I, look we're just guessing we, we don't have a clue we, we're just trying to piece things together aren't we and, and try and make make bones of the rumors because like you say there's no smoke without fire and um, so obviously there's there's, there's unhappiness in, in the camp and it just like i said earlier it undermines the manager and you know, I think Ronaldo is is the he's almost becoming a scapegoat, isn't he? You know, because he's because he's coming to the yeah. end of his career and, and the player he's being is the easy target. Paul Pogba was the easy target. I'm not hearing Paul Pogba mentioned anymore at all. Ronaldo, you know, so I think Pogba, I think Pogba has has played better in the past month than he ever has for Manchester United in his whole career. Um, so I think that's why people are leaving him alone. Yeah. Um, Scott, one last question I have for you. Um, uh, you, you, as you, as you mentioned earlier on, and you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, we went through, uh, you know, a six-game uh, period or so against, no disrespect, but to lesser teams in the Premier League. We expected, you know, to get at least 15, 18 points because they were all winnable games, and um, we dropped a lot of points over that time. We won a few points. Um, we, you know, with the games we have in hand because of COVID, which which I personally believe is is not beneficial. You know, getting that that time off. You and I talked about it. You know, you said that you know if you're off for two weeks, you may be training, but you, you're still not match fit, and you'll lose that sharpness. And you said to me during the Newcastle game that Newcastle just looks so much sharper because they have been playing. Um, and only you know only someone like yourself, professional footballer, sees that. Whereas we as fans go, oh my god, he's at two weeks off. Yeah, but he hasn't been lying on the beach in Mallorca. He's been training, and you know he has a job. And 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 at the end of the week, he has to play those games to keep himself sharp. But um, the point is that you know have we lost that 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 opportunity to to break into the top four now because we're going to start hitting a very very difficult period. You know we got FA Cup games coming up. We got um. You know, we've obviously got uh, to catch up with those other two games as well. We're out of the League Cup, which is, a, you know, kind of a benefit that way. We've got Champions League coming. Um, I'm I'm pretty concerned about, about you know, Manchester United again. And I don't like talking about top four because for me, you either win the league or you don't. That's the way it is for me. You either win the league or you don't. Second, you might as well be 16th as, as a supporter. I don't care if we come second. I don't care if we come third. I don't care if we come fourth. You have to win it. I don't care what anyone else comes. We don't get anything out of, you know, fans saying, oh, we get into the Champions League. So what? Then we don't benefit money from that as a supporter. You want to win. That's all it is. Have we lost that opportunity to, to actually climb the table at this point and, and get in? Because with player, our teams dropping points around us, I saw this as an opportunity when you're playing. And like I said, no disrespect, Newcastle, Burnley, Wolves. You know, we should have we should have smashed all three of those. Um, but we didn't, um, and here we are sitting here with four points out of that nine. Um, have we lost the opportunity to, to to gain on Arsenal, who were bottom, you know, yeah. three games in? Liverpool, Chelsea, they've been dropping points. Have you know what what does the season hold for you right now, coming into January? Well, I think the top three take care of themselves. Personally, I think uh, I think Man City will win the league. I think 
Chelsea and Liverpool will be second or third. Um, I think it is a massive opportunity. I remember we spoke about uh, Ralph Ragnick's fixture list and it couldn't have been kinder to him. So I think there's yeah. no doubt it's been a huge, huge opportunity missed. Um, <clears throat> listen, we know the quality of the Premier League, but <coughs> sorry, the quality of Man United squad should be deemed, should be shouldn't be getting should be getting more points than four from that nine. You know, you, you've got to be thinking absolute minimum, minimum seven, yeah. minimum. You've got to be a nine points really. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna be consolidate that top four spot, I think there's plenty of time left. I, I don't think it's gone. I don't think it's any more secure. I think it's a huge opportunity missed with the, the kind games. Um, but look, there's there's loads of games left. Um, you know, you're hearing stuff about Arsenal going reasonably okay, but there's you hear the murmurs in their camp. Ragnick just has to put his stamp on it now and and get the players back on side. Maybe clear a few players out who aren't happy there, and. You know, there's plenty of games left. United have got a big enough squad to to deal with the fixture list, I believe, to, to with the, the games coming up and the catch up games. Um, so there's there's plenty of times left to get in top four. On your your points about the top four, I get it as a fan, but I think the money now. You know, if Man United came eighth or seventh like they were with Moyes and they didn't play in Europe for a year, that would be a, a massive disadvantage when it comes down into recruitment players. They're going to pick the clubs in the Champions Leagues. Uh, even the Europa League, they're going to lose out on revenue from um, from the Champions League, from European game. They're going to lose out on the gate receipts from all that. And I, I, listen, I, the top four thing is a bit of a bit of mine as well. With oh, we've got to get in the top four, and it's because it's a lot. That it's not about like you say competing and winning. It's more to do with money. But again, I just think the money involved with the Champions League and the TV these days, it, it is you know, if United didn't get top four, that'd be a huge blow. It would be a big blow. Uh, don't for sure if they if they didn't make that. I think a club like Manchester United can probably sustain uh, a, at least a year or two out of the Champions League. So, you know, I, I don't I don't fear us being out of Champions League for two or three years in a row. I think that's when financially we we could actually get it. But I think we're one of the few clubs in the world that could take that hit over a season or two. But you know. I'm just I'm always on this belief you either win or you don't you know and, and nobody remembers who loses cup finals you know and and nobody you know we keep bringing up this team well Ole got a second and and it was a fantastic achievement but we finished you know eight million points behind City you know it was it, and we we nearly got caught by Liverpool in the end who were who were light years behind us at at one point um I think the the second was fantastic but. You either win the league or you don't. That's that's the way I see it these days, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're not you're not going to talk about that season in ten years' time, are you? You know, you, you're just know. not. But if you won the Champions League in the FA Cup, you, you would as a fan. You're going to be. Oh, I remember, you know, that season. What a season we came third or fourth, but we we beat whoever in the quarterfinal. Then we went. Like you know, you took people talk about '99. You talk about the Barca games, the Juventus semi-finals. They're the memories that you know yeah. fans have. Um, Obviously, the final speaks for itself, but yeah, no, I, I hear your points absolutely. I agree with you. So, before we finish up, I want to just mention uh, an article that we have on our uh, talkofthedevils.co.uk, uh, written by the um, impressive uh, Manchester United author, Mr. Wayne Byrne. I try to come up with a new word for him every week to keep him happy, and we'll go with impressive this time. You know, we blow up his ego. Um, it's it's basically uh, basically talking about Ragnick and, and the previous managers we had and, and why we've come to this point. An absolutely fantastic read. Now, it's under a very difficult uh, uh, 
headline of Rangnick's Rebel Reds. Um, okay for me to say, Jonathan Ross may have a few problems saying that, and we may, <laughs> you may not be able to find it. But if you get yourself onto where I talk at the devils.co.uk, please, please take a look at it. Um, Wayne has linked it to his um, uh, his Twitter account as well. Give it a like, give it a follow, give it a you know a retweet. But it, it, it's an absolutely incredible article. Uh, you know, Wayne has this great knack of being able to try and remove the emotion of a supporter out of an article uh, to try and see it from you know kind of like a, both sides of it. Whereas a lot of us are either we're either on one side or we're on the other. So again, on Ragnik's Rebel Reds uh, on TalkOfTheDevils.co.uk, uh, give it a like. Anyone that hasn't subscribed to the channel, uh, please give us a like as well. We'd really appreciate it. Give us some feedback as well. Scott, as always, it's 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 a pleasure and it's an honor for us to have you on the show. Um, you always you always come with some, you know, uh, you take you also take the emotion of a supporter out of out of a lot of the questions that we ask because we all want to be like, ah, you know, this is terrible, this is shit. Um uh, and and you know, no more so than when I when I like I said, I was texting during the Newcastle game and and you just because I'm like, what? We're two weeks off. Why aren't these going? And, and for you to come back and go, yeah, but no one's match fit. You know, Newcastle a lot yeah. sharper. It's just. It's I remember. I think Newcastle hadn't played for five or six days, and United hadn't played for. I think it was between two or three weeks. And it, it's just the rhythm of of playing games mentally, just as mentally more than anything. Really, you, you play a game, uh, you're stiff, you're tired. You you have that. You have that fitness in your legs, and even even yeah. two, probably two weeks, I'd say, is, is the, but anything over two weeks, you you can notice it. If it's a week, ten days, sometimes you do, sometimes you you feel great over it. But obviously, there was disruption at the training ground. There were certain players having to isolate. You know, yep. that would I think that would have been a huge problem if players are having seven days off at home. You can go for road runs, and you can run in parks if you or you run on your treadmill. But that is. There's almost no carryover from from doing that to to play yeah. a match. It's it's completely different. Any any player will tell you that you can do all. You can run 100k on a treadmill, but then five minutes into a game, you'll be blowing. You'll be Phew. um. So that I think that was a problem, obviously. And like I say, it's just the rhythm of playing games. You, you play if you play in every week, you, you feel fit, you're confident. You have that that shut off, and you might you know the players might have had to isolate or the, the short numbers in training. That next game, it's like phew, the first half an hour. You, you like you think you, you think you feel knackered after half an hour. It's just just how the body works. Um, I get it. I do get it now. Um, and like I said, it's it's easy for us to you know when, when we're sitting on the terrace or standing on the terrace as you can now in in, in a lot of clubs. Um, it's easy for us to go. Oh my god, you know. When I when I when I took two weeks off to go to Spain last year and I went back to work, I was all refreshed and ready to go. And um, we 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 you know it's completely different as we know, completely completely different. Uh, Scott, as I said, um, appreciate it. Um, hope uh, hopefully you guys get the win the weekend. Um, it's going to be a tough game against Spurs. Hopefully your injury uh, doesn't hamper you, uh, you know, too long, and we see you back on the pitch. Um, you know that offer is still open. You're your one goal into the five goal uh, Wayne Baker cake. Um, you may want to check inside that cake though. Uh, you know, I've seen some of his. Uh, I've seen some of his cooking and his his uh, his cooking as of late. He tends to be, you know, he tends to like the overdone part of uh, of the field. So just be careful with that. But as I said, you know, wish you all the best for the rest of the season. Uh, big game on on the weekend, Manchester United as well playing Aston Villa. Stevie Gerrard coming back to Old Trafford. I just don't want to see that mug kissing that camera again. I really don't need that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm concerned. 
because our home form is shocking. Um, but it's the FA Cup. I absolutely adore the FA Cup. Um, so come on, Manchester United. Uh, let's get through this round so we can so the FA can give us another Premier League team in the next one because yeah, that's the norm. <laughs> Scott, again, appreciate your time. Well, and, and you everyone else. Time, See you uh, next time. Um, that, that's basically, you know, giving us questions. We couldn't get to some of them. Some of them were uh, not relevant to what we were trying to talk about here as well, but we will get around to them maybe on our Twitter feed and stuff like that. So, um, as always, you know, have a great evening and uh, we'll talk soon. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.